read it on the screen. <laughs> First Peter uh, 1, 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of, Christ, of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a while, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy and inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring that what person or time the Spirit of, of Christ in them was indicating what he predicted, the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that you now have been announced that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word. We praise you for this morning, this gathering. We just ask that you bless, uh, bless this service continually, and uh, and we just thank you for uh, for your your word, which is always true and always um, always keeps us straight. And uh, we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What <coughs> title of the message today? Well, that's the title of the, of the series that we're going through, First Peter, the Church and Community on Mission. Um, the title of the message today is Blessed Be God, which comes straight from the very first, uh, first line, the very first phrase of the passage that Jeff just read from First Peter. Um, remember last week we talked about, uh, we just kind of read through the first two verses of this letter, and we talked about what, uh, what it meant... Um, for the church to be a community on mission, um, in, in that Peter began his letter to these Christians that were scattered all over um, the area of Asia Minor, um, he wrote to them and he, and he called them elect exiles, um, or, or more, more literally, the um, exiled elect, with the emphasis on this is who you are. You are elect of God, and you are exiled throughout the world. Um, he gave them an identity. He talked to them about identity, and he talked to them about, he told them that they were there according to the foreknowledge of God, told them that they were there in the sanctification of the Spirit, and he told them that they were there for obedience and sprinkling of, of the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice that God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son, God the Son, are all incorporated in that, in that opening greeting by, first, by Peter. 
So he really emphasized who they were, who they were. And now he's going to unfold what that means. What does it mean to be a community on mission in a hostile world, in a world that's not always accepting and welcoming of the church, not always welcoming of a people that are saying, we live by different standards. We don't live by the world standards. We live a different way. And so that's what Peter's beginning here. And he starts off with a blessing. Blessed be God. Blessed be... In our translations, we add the word the because it makes sense of the rest of the phrase. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But literally, it's just blessed be God. Um, what are some... I, this, is, this is probably new because you're not used to do this in a, in a message, but I want to... I want, to, I want to ask you guys to interact with me a little bit here. What are some reasons that we have for blessing God? Just throw them out. What are some reasons we have for blessing God? I don't know. Surviving cancer was a good one. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Surviving cancer. Praise the Lord. He's good. He's good. My family. Okay. Families. Absolutely. I bless him for all the blessings he gives me. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's creation. Creation. This glorious day. Absolutely. His son. His son. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All of those reasons, right? And the I think what what was it Paul said to the uh, Trying to remember, because he's got okay he, he, to the uh, Athenians. He was in Athens, and he was speaking to the to the Athenians, and he said, "God, who doesn't live in temples made by hand, because he doesn't need us." He actually said that he doesn't need his creation because he himself gives life and breath and everything to his creation. That's amazing. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love. He has given us everything. So he's absolutely and ultimately worthy of being blessed by us. At the very least, we can call out and bless God. And I think that's what, um, that's, this, is, this is in this opening phrase, this opening line of First Peter. That's what, that's what Peter's trying to get across. Actually, these, these, these um, nine verses that Jeff read um, or is it 10? 10 verses that Jeff read, verses 3 through 12. Um, it's all one long sentence that Peter wrote out. And then we've translated it and broken it down so we can actually make sense of it. But it's really literally one long sentence. And it all unfolds out of this idea that God is blessed and that we ought to then in return bless God. So what do you think the, that... Peter's readers had to bless God about. Um, if we dig a little deeper, and we will see later in the in the letter, and we're gonna we're gonna look at this right now, the the believers that Peter was talking to were, did not have it easy. Life was not all that easy for them. The, they were living again, as Peter said in the first verse, "You're exiles, you're strangers, you're sojourners." 
You, you have come into the family of God. You've come into the community of faith, and you've become God's people, and in doing so, now you're outsiders. Now everybody looks at you and says, well, you're not like us. Well, you don't do the things that we do. And so persecution was coming to them. They were experiencing trials and difficulties. Literally in that time, uh, the, as, as a Christian, to, to really stand up and say, no, God is God and Jesus is Lord, you had to live in such a way that you weren't involved in all of the, the civic you know, civic patterns of life. They had the temples to their false gods and the pagan gods, and they had the the cult of the of the emperor. And so, if you were going to be a good citizen, you were going to live a certain way, and you were going to practice these particular beliefs, and you were going to live a you were going to you were going to worship the pagan gods, and you were going to go to the cult, the cult temples, and you were going to pay homage to Caesar as Lord. And Peter's saying, you guys are going through various trials. I want to start, um, as we just kind of unfold this, I want to jump right into the very middle verses of this passage. And then we're going to kind of work our way out from the first, the, the first couple of verses right in the middle, um, so go with me to verses 6 and 7. Go with me to verses 6 and 7, because what I'm really trying to, trying to answer in this question is, what did Peter's readers have to bless God about? What did they really have to bless God about? I think that's the, that's the key question in this passage. So let's look at this. Peter said that in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The fact is that God is blessed, and we could even say, blessed be God through present trials. The trials that, Pete, that Peter's readers were going through <coughs> were, uh, well, he doesn't, he doesn't really define them, does he? He actually uses this term, various trials. The, and I think he's saying that because, um, number one, Peter was writing to a bunch of Christians who he knew of by reputation, but didn't really know intimately. He hadn't traveled through the, that area like Paul had. He hadn't developed a lot of relationships. He didn't, he didn't know what they were going through specifically. He didn't know what their life was like in detail, but he had this knowledge of this church, and he knew these churches, and he knew that he needed to write to them and encourage them, but he knew that they were going through trials. They were going through difficulties. Some translations actually say they were going through sufferings, or they were going through afflictions. Um, but Peter writes to them, and he talks about them in, in these very general terms, and I think he does that for us. And I appreciate that he did that for us, because He's trying to connect their trials to all trials, universal trials, universal experiences that all Christians go through. So every community that is on mission is going to go through various trials. I think that's what he's trying to say here. Um, the writer of Hebrews, I referenced this last week. Remember in chapter 11 of Hebrews, how he's, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses... 
And then at the end, at the end of that passage, he says, and by faith, uh, women received back their dead, some were tortured, um, others were Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. In other words, they just had to do what they had to do to live and get by. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Peter is trying to help his readers identify with the community of faith Everywhere that has gone through trials and afflictions and various kinds of sufferings. And, um, and he's trying to encourage us as well to, to, to help his readers to understand that they're connected with the story. They're connected with all that's gone on before, all who have worshipped God before. Notice that their, uh, their trials are a means of establishing the genuineness of their faith. In verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith... So when we go through uh, trials, afflictions, sufferings, pain, and we ask, why am I going through this? Well, we have at least one answer here. Okay? We don't have all the answers. We don't. And I'm not going to stand up here and say, I can. let me tell you why you experience pain. <laughs> let me tell you why you're suffering. Or why people all around the world are suffering. Because I don't have all of the answers. Because that's somebody else's story, and God knows their story. And he's got an answer for them. I don't necessarily know it, but I do know from what Peter's saying here is that suffering and trials produce or result or are, are in a sense, a testing of the genuineness of our faith. So Peter's saying that, that well, like, like gold that um, perishes, he says, though tested by a fire. That our faith is tested in these trials and these afflictions. And it comes out to be pure. Um, one of the things that, that it'd be easy to think there is like, well, so that does that mean that when when we're tested, that God's trying to see if we're really believers? That to see if we're really we really love him and that we're really going to be faithful to him? Well, I think that's that can be part of it. But Peter, uh, Peter, as he's writing to the people here, he's assuming that. He's assuming that it's true, that they have real faith. But what he's trying to point out here is that the genuineness of their faith is of ultimate value. He's saying that when you go through trials and you come through those trials with your faith intact, that's showing that your faith is more precious than gold. That it is of ultimate value. That it is of ultimate worth. That's what he's trying to, trying to get us to see, and that's what our faith is. If we're going to hold on to it, we're not going to hold on to it just because it's true, even, even though it is. We're going to hold on to it because it's of ultimate value. It's more valuable than any other circumstance we could ever possible, possibly go through. That's what he's trying to get it. It is worth it. He, it reminds me of when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like... What did he say it was like? He was like a man who, who finds treasure in a field. And when he finds that treasure, he says, I will sell everything I have so that I can afford to buy that field, so I can obtain that treasure. That's what coming to faith 
is for us. It is of ultimate value. It is worth everything. It is worth getting rid of everything. It is worth this home and a salary and anything you could give up. God is worth it. He's ultimate worth. He's ultimately worth it. It is more precious than gold that perishes through the fire. But look what he says next, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's that praise and glory and honor for? Well, I think that what he's talking about is that when believers experience the revelation, the, the literally the appearing of Jesus Christ at the end of times, that they're going to receive praise and glory and honor for coming through. This is something that God is going to bestow on His people. Um, yeah, how many of you guys have been watching the Final Four? Any, any college basketball people? Sort of, yes. Um, I don't really follow it too much. If I had, I know my bracket would be busted long ago in the, probably the first round. But hey, um, but, but I... If you remember back, I don't know if you played sports in, in high school or college or anything like that, but I remember um, playing basketball, I remember playing football and stuff like that. And what, what was the thing that we would do at the end of every practice? We would run, right? We'd run lines. And we would suffer, right? And we'd go through affliction, and we'd go through these trials, these testings, right? Um, and be like, oh my goodness, again? But those guys who are playing in the Final Four and now getting ready to play in the national championship game ran lines day after day after day, right? Why? Because they knew that by going through those trials, momentary, momentary afflictions, that they would come out on the other side and have a chance for the praise and glory and honor that comes through, through victory. And that's what is promised to us as Christians. That when we go through the trials of this life and we come through on the other side, that it will result in victory. That it will result in us receiving the, what? The crown of life. The crown of righteousness that's bestowed by God Himself, saying, here's my righteousness. Now it's yours. Come and enjoy and share in all that I have. Because you're my children. Well, that's the center of this. And that's what Peter, Peter said, you guys are going through this, so what does that lead to? Well, they're, they're, they're saying, blessed be God through present trials, but he's also saying, blessed be God through future grace. This is where it gets glorious. Future grace, um, uh, Peter says in verse 7, is a living hope. He says it's a living hope. That's what they have to look forward to. He also says that it is, in verse 4, it is an inheritance. An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Um, and then he says as well, in verse 5, uh, that it is for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, or in the last day. These three phrases are, are key to what Peter is trying to, trying to uh, um, kind of whet the appetite of his readers. Here's what you have to look forward to. You're going through present trials right now, but what you have to look forward to is 
future grace. The grace that's going to be on you, that is going to be given to you as a living hope, as an inheritance, as salvation. The living hope is in contrast to all the pagan hopelessness that was around Peter's readers. That they looked around and they said, what hope is there in worshiping a pagan god? What hope is there in worshiping an emperor who's going to die? He will die. What, is, what hope is there in worshiping these as God? When we have a living hope, a hope that we can be confident in because we serve a living Savior, which he says, he says that it was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's all about Jesus, who is living for us and is waiting for us in eternity. This inheritance, it should have, I think it would have reminded the, his readers immediately of the inheritance that the Israelites received. Over and over in the Old Testament, this word is used, this inheritance word is used to talk about the land that, that Israel is being brought into this inheritance. And so they would have said, inheritance? Well, that makes sense to us. Just like Israel was given that land, we have an inheritance. But look at this, though, that... Look how he defines it as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. These are words for unending. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be defiled. It, it is imperishable. It will never go away. It's not going to fade. Um, it's, it is secure. It is solid. We can have confidence in this. We can have hope in this. Um, it's an inheritance that can never be taken away from us. And it's a salvation um, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, look at the end of verse 7. We, we, uh, we, uh, we talked about this a moment ago. Praise and glory and honor. What is that living hope? What is that inheritance? What is that salvation really going to look like? It's going to look a lot like Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what we're promised. Right? That's what we're promised. We, are, we can talk about the mansions, we can talk about the crowns, we can talk about the streets of gold, we talk about the pearly gates, or literally gates made out of the single pearls, 12 of them. Um, we can talk about those things, and imagine what it's going to be like to get all of that, and to receive all that, and all that goodness. But what, is, what, is, what did John say in Revelation? That there won't be a sun, because the light's going to come from Jesus himself. Jesus is the center of our future. Jesus himself, that's where he says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that is our, our hope, that it's our future. So blessed be God that we have future grace in Christ himself, in Jesus himself as a person, more glorious than all of these other all these other things that we could possibly imagine about what heaven's going to be like. Well, what, what leads to this future grace? Um, we've kind of dug into, we've seen verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, but what is this all about that God has done? Well, the final, the final thing I want to show you here is as we kind of unfold, it, unfold this um, passage is that blessed be God because or because he makes us born again. Blessed be God who makes us born again. When, um, 
when Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He did what? He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection, etc. Um, this, is a, this is a beautiful phrase that, ta that talks about what it means to, to, to be in salvation, to, to receive a living hope, to receive an inheritance. It's, it's the means by which we receive all of that. Um, but look at who does the action. Look who does the action in that phrase. And you see it in the English Bibles as well. He has caused. He who? God. God has caused us to be born again. We see that God is doing the action. And, and what about us? He has caused us to be born again. We are the ones receiving the action. We receive this grace of regeneration. That's what, that's the, that's a great technical term for what it simply means to just be born again. To be regenerated. To be born again. And God is the one doing the action here. Um, how many of you chose to be born? Thank you for not raising your hands. We're all on the same page here, right? Just want to make sure that there's not some metaphysical kind of anomaly going on in our community. We have all, none of us were, none of us chose to be born in the first place, right? And it's so, it's, it, it's, um, this is what makes salvation so amazing. That God has chosen us. We are his elect. We are his exiled elect. God the Father foreknew us and chose us. And then he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Um, beautiful, beautiful phrase there that it's all that, the fatherhood of God. That's why, that's why um, Peter says he's God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are in his family. He's our Heavenly Father. That's how Jesus told us to talk about, about the Father. Pray, our Father in Heaven. He is our Father. He chose us. He adopted us as His children. He gave new birth to us and new life to us. That is what is so amazing about what He saved. That is a reason to bless God, is it not? You can say amen. Amen. <laughs> Notice, though, what that results in. Okay? So, God has caused us to be born again. What does that result in for us as believers? Well, verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you, in other words, you did not see Jesus in the past, but yet you love him. So, those who have been born again... Love Jesus. It's as simple as that. We love Jesus. Um, Jesus said over and over to his disciples, If you love me, you'll do my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll be with me and the, with the Father, and you'll listen to the Father, and you'll listen to me and my words. If you love me. And he's saying, you do love me. If you're my people, you love me. Um, one of the quickest ways to know whether somebody is born again, do they love Jesus? That's a real simple litmus test. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than these other things? 
whatever they might be at hand? Do you love Jesus? We love Jesus when we're born again. We also believe in Jesus when we're born again. The very next phrase, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. He said, you, you don't see Jesus now. He's not with you physically anymore. He's with you by his spirit. He's at the right hand of God right now. He's not with you now. So you don't see him right now, people, but you believe in him. You have faith in him. You have confidence in him. It's That's, that's what he's trying to get at. When we talk about belief and faith, we're not talking about, mm, I really believe this, like it's some kind of wishful thinking. It is confidence. We have confidence in who he is and what he has promised us. We have confidence. When he said he's coming back, we believe that. We have confidence in that. We, Folks, we put faith in things day after day after day, don't we? We, we, we believe when somebody tells us something. We believe enough to, uh, to sit in the chairs and not fall down. We believe enough to get into our vehicles and drive down the highway. And we are confident that if everything goes right, we'll drive in our lane and everyone else will drive in their own lane, right? <laughs> and we, have, we, we express belief and faith day after day. Sometimes it kind of freaks me out. I'm driving down the freeway at 75 miles an hour. I mean, 70 miles an hour. <laughs> um, and, and I think, I am going really fast. If I didn't have confidence that, that this vehicle was going to do what it's supposed to be doing and what it's doing right now, if I didn't have confidence and faith that the other people on the road were going to do what they're supposed to do, I'm driving by a semi, and you know, Cheryl's like, past the semi, I'm like, I'm going the speed limit. So is it. Uh, you know. If I don't have confidence, it's going to stay in its lane while I'm kind of tootling by. Um, what would, I, I mean, we would be a mess. We'd be a wreck. We express confidence and faith day after day after day. And that's the kind of belief that Peter's talking about. Confidence that we can live our lives because we have a living hope, because we have an inheritance, because we have a salvation that's waiting for us, ready to be revealed um, at, at Jesus appearing in the last time. And then it, it, several times in this passage, um, talking about belief, um, in verse 5, um, we are, we are uh, being... Uh, we have an inheritance kept in heaven by God's power, who, uh, which is being guarded by God's power. And then there's this little phrase there, through faith. So through faith, our inheritance is being guarded. This is really interesting. Wait a minute, God's doing the guarding, but it's through faith? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the, other, the other side of the miracle of salvation and the other side of being born again that we exercise faith. Um, and then in verse 9, um, he says that we're going to obtain the outcome of our faith, which is uh, the salvation of our souls. Faith is, is a real key word here. And in one, on one hand, it means that, that confidence and trust in God, in Jesus and his promises, but on the other, the other side, it's talking about our faithfulness. That means being true to what we believe, being true to what God has called us to be. Faithfulness. It's a, you could almost maybe use the word allegiance. When you bear allegiance or you 
um, pledge allegiance to something, right? Like we do when we pledge allegiance to the flag as U.S. citizens. We're saying that that's, that's where we belong. That's, we're going to be true to that, to our flag. We're going to be true to our country and what it stands for. We're going to be true as citizens. And he's saying, as citizen, citizens in heaven, you pledge allegiance to God. You are faithful in the way you live and act um, to Christ. Um, and then also, uh, don't, don't lose this one, though, and this is key. Verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. We actually rejoice as we're born again, or when we are born again. And he's, he could say that. Um, Peter could say that and immediately afterwards say, okay, I want you to rejoice even though you're going through trials. We can do that because what, what, did, what did Jesus tell his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount? I'm going to flip right back to Matthew 5 so that I can read it for you. Um, but he tells them very, very clearly, he says, blessed are you. He pronounces a blessing on, the, on his disciples. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice. What? What? How are we, how are we to rejoice when people are coming against us? When we are being torn down? When enemies are attacking us? Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is in heaven. We can rejoice through present circumstances, through various trials, as Peter calls his readers to, because we have an ultimate reward. We have something greater than any trial that we could ever go through. So we can rejoice. Let me recap. Those who are born again love Jesus. Those who are born again have faith in Jesus, believe in Jesus, have confidence in Him. Those who are born again are faithful to Jesus. Those who are born again rejoice in Jesus and have joy in Him. And uh, finally, for the, for the children who are filling out their little forms, there's, there's a little blank there for you. We're talking about good news. How do we get there? What's the means? What's the means by which we are born again? It's the good news. And in uh, in this second or this last section, where um, Peter talks about the prophets who searched and inquired, they received a revelation from Jesus. They wrote about it and they inquired in it. And they said, "Jesus, what's going on?" Well, they didn't say his name, Jesus, but they sought him and. And they sought out God, and they sought out the Spirit. And Peter says that it was literally the Spirit of Christ who was revealing those things to the prophets. And they, they looked and they said, what, what's going on? Who is this? How is this going to work? What's this all about? And what, the, what they were looking for was the predictions of Christ and the subsequent glories. They were looking at, how is this all going to work? When is your Messiah going to come? What is this going to look? What's he going to do? Right? Is that blank in there, the good news? I don't know if it is not. But, um, I'll have to look at it. And see. But they were looking for this. And that was the good news. Peter said, 
Peter said that this was what was announced to you. This was what was announced oh, to you. The blank is salvation. Oh, salvation. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there. Write good news down. Yeah, write good news, um, in the blank. But it was this that was announced to you through those who preached the good news to you in the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That the good news is the means by which others are, are born again. The River Church has, we have this working motto that we, or tagline that we're working with. It's really a, the kind of the, the active vision for, for our church. Um, we know that our mission is to make disciples who make mm-hmm. disciples. That's our mission. But our vision is to see lives, families, and communities transformed by the good news of Jesus. That's really what it's all about. We're here to spread the good news of Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus in in whatever means and ways that we can so that people will be transformed, so that their lives will be changed, so that their families will be changed and restored, so that this entire community of Moxie and... Many other communities all over the Yakima Valley will be transformed. The good news is the means by which we do that. So, why is God blessed? Blessed be God because He's caused us to be born again. Because He has given us a way to to make it through the experiences, the present trials that we go through. Because He's given us a future hope, right? Let me ask you a few questions as we, as we wrap up. This, this message primarily centers on what God has done, right? God and all that He's done, and, and then what we, we go through. But how, how should we respond to that? And I want to ask you these questions here. And if you want me to write them down, write them down. Um, God will work on your heart the way He needs to work on your heart. How would you characterize your love for Jesus? First of all, as as somebody who's born again, how would you characterize your love for Jesus? How would you characterize your confidence in the promises of Jesus? And how would you characterize your faithfulness to the commands of Jesus? And how would you characterize your joy? In Jesus. Love, confidence, faithfulness in Jesus, to Jesus, and joy in Jesus. Love, confidence, faithfulness, and joy. You know, as, as believers, we are living in a world that's not our home. And we're living around with a lot of influences that are constantly influencing us and challenging us um, in our faithfulness to Jesus. There are things that are competing for our love. There are things that are competing for our confidences. There are things that are competing for our joy. We all deal with it. No matter where we are in life, no matter whether we are born again or not yet come into the kingdom, we're dealing with those things. There was a time a few years ago where I, I, I came to a, a realization that I didn't love Jesus all that much that I had been born again, that I have been walking with Him for years, but that my love for Jesus was a lot like the Ephesian church that John wrote to in Revelation. You've lost your first love. You may be doing all the right things, you may be saying all the right things, you may believe all the right things, 
But where is your love for Jesus? And where is your love for other people? I think there, there, I came to a point where I had to say, Jesus, I repent because I don't love you like I should love you. I should, I should love you because you are infinitely worth loving more than I could ever possibly imagine. And my attempts at loving Jesus are just filthy rags compared to his love for me and the worth that he has. How's our love? How's our confidence? How's our faithfulness? How's our joy? That's another thing that... Joy is that last thing that God's been really working on my heart in the last few, last year or so, I guess. Last few months. So I want to challenge you with that. Let's go into a time of, of prayer. Um, silent prayer. I'm going to just ask you all to just bow and, uh, and uh, begin praying. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to respond in whatever way you want to. We're going to let me play a little bit, and we're going to sing together again. Um, I want to give you a chance to, um, if you haven't already, you, uh, you can. If you haven't given an offering, you you want to um, respond to the Lord by giving an offering. This is your time. Um, you can do that now, or you can do that when we're done singing and praying. Um, but I want to give you a chance to respond. Um, where where are you at in your? Um, love, your confidence in Jesus and His promises, your faithfulness to Jesus and your joy in Him.